there's a column for that A1, A2, B5, B6, A, B9. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We know those are cells. Hello, and welcome to our 15th episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cohen. Today I'm talking to John Darby, farmer, forager, educator, and comic book entrepreneur. John is my husband Sam's business partner in Riverbend Comics, an online comic book store based here in Central PA. A few months ago, I had a chance to look over the budget John created for the business in an Excel spreadsheet, and I was truly blown away by the detail, the organization, and the formatting. At the time, I had known John for 10 years, and I knew he was good at lots of things, but I had no idea he was an Excel Jedi master. That's the thing about spreadsheets and people. Some of us shout out our obsessions from the rooftops, and some of us are just more stealth. Please, if you're a stealth spreadsheet master, let me know. I want to talk to you. And please enjoy this conversation with John about food, farming, the West Wing, and Billy Bragg. Please follow us on Twitter at column underscore pod, and please be in touch. My chat with John was recorded on Tuesday, January 12th, and we're releasing it on March 15th. Please remember to wear your mask. Black lives still matter. Joe Biden is the rightfully elected president of the United States. And remember, spreadsheets save lives. John, welcome to Hi. There's a Column for That. Thanks for talking. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you live, how you identify, what line of work you're in, do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space related to or unrelated to spreadsheets? How do we know each other? Feel free to answer any or all. Yeah, so I, uh, what line of work am I in? I'm actually, um, it's all connected. How do I know you is uh, I started uh, farming a long distant time ago and sold at a farmer's market and you and Sam came and were customers of mine and I became, got to know you guys and became very good friends with Sam and by extension your family. And um, I think that's like a decade ago. Yeah. And uh, which brings us to the present. Um, where Sam is my business partner now. We have a business that we run together, uh, an online comic book store called Riverbend Comics. And um, I've been a comic geek my whole life and have been selling comics for 25 years or more at this point. I've also been a farmer for the last decade. So I kind of live in both worlds of the, of the indoor office type work and immersed in packing and shipping comics and staring at screens, but also outside and uh, digging in the dirt and growing things. and just recently left uh, my full-time job at the time, which was educating people about those kinds of things and uh, spent 12 years doing that. So I decided I needed a change of pace. And I think Sam was in the same boat and we sort of kind of put our heads together and this is what happened. So awesome. for better or for worse. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I'm glad for all of those twists and turns in your life and how they intersect with our family's twists and turns. Uh, and do you have time for hobbies or have you monetized all your hobbies so you get paid to do the things you love or 
Um, kind of that. It's kind of weird because like I, I don't, I feel like I don't get a lot of downtime because I'm kind of a workaholic and I always find work to do and it drives my wife nuts. But um, yeah, I monetize my hobbies. Like I was very much into foraging and finding uh, wild food and medicine and learning about all that. So then I started teaching it and that became a job and I got really into growing food and excited about um, farming and, uh, you know, ecology. And then that became a job. And I uh, have been in the comics my whole life and then that became a job. And so now it's kind of funny because I will have people ask me like, what's your favorite farming podcast? And I'm like, Oh God, I do it all day. I, I, I spent all week working on that stuff. I can't stand to listen to it in the evening. So um, the books I read and the uh, things I listen to generally don't have anything to do with my day jobs because I've, monetize my hobbies, which is both a blessing and a curse. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know there's been a lot of conversation about that that I've seen online, especially during the pandemic, which is how do you relax if you've monetized the things that you love, which is such a great problem to have. How do you interact with spreadsheets in your work and or your life? Um, I have, I interact with spreadsheets around everything I just mentioned. Um, I mean, there's literally seven days a week I'm on spreadsheets for various reasons. So uh, in the farm world, I uh, my entire farm plan and crop plan is put on a spreadsheet over the winter um, with every single crop I'm growing, every variety I'm growing, what date I need to seed them, when they go in the ground, what kind of yield I'm expecting from them, where I source the seed from, how many seeds go into each cell in, this, in the greenhouse, and that tells me how many seeds I need to buy. So it's it's pretty robust and I've been tweaking it for the last decade. And I think I have it down to a science. I do tons of spreadsheet work with the, the business that Sam and I run. Um, well, I just have to interrupt you right now and say that the yeah. budget, the budget spreadsheet like blew my mind. Like I, <laughs> and here's what I'll say. I don't know if you want to talk about your budget spreadsheet, but for me, you did something on that spreadsheet that I have often been resistant to do, but I think once I saw your spreadsheet, I'm no longer resistant which is you have columns for everything so that very little manipulation needs to be done. And by that, what I, what I mean by that is I'm someone who would often like put a number in a cell and then next to it, what category it was. Yeah. And then I would sort by category and do groupings. Whereas you, for you, each column is the own category. So if you only use a column once, you're fine with that. Because, yep. I mean, ideally you're using it a bunch because it means more money but like so I don't know if you want to talk about that sort of how you lined it out or if you'd be willing to give us a screenshot to post in the show notes of some part of it but I just really like the way everything is its own thing mm -hmm. so that all your totals tie and you're not having to manipulate anything to get to where you need to go yeah, I try to do as little work as possible. So I want to put something in once and then not have to calculate or switch things around or, or sort. Um, I'm a big sorter. I'm a big filter and a big sorter. And I think your spreadsheet may have may have shown me the error of my ways. Yeah, I don't. I mean, for for when we when we pull orders for who we have to ship to, we do. I do a lot of sorting there. Mm -hmm. But for the budget, I don't ever use the sort, and I don't think I've ever once used like the filter feature function yeah i don't i don't even remember when i started doing it like that but that was my original budget for my farm when i ran my own farm uh same thing and i just moved it over to this business and you know tweaked the appropriate columns and headers yeah i mean i think in a lot of ways like a spreadsheet is like the way i use spreadsheets is like a proxy for my brain 
And so that's how like my brain works. Like I have buckets of things. And so these things need to go in that bucket. And so the column is the two dimensional representation of that bucket. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the calculations do, do the rest based on formulas and things. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I did when I was teaching farming and teaching to beginner farmers is I was helping them set up their budgets for their farm early on. So I had, you know, they would bring me their budget and I would see different versions and I would kind of give them. And so that was sort of the template that I would give them to say, Hey, start doing it this way. It's easy. You don't have to know a lot about spreadsheets. It's kind of a sort of a dumbed down way of doing it, I think. But, um, I mean, I understand why you would describe it that way. Uh, For me, it was sort of revolutionary in the idea of it's okay. I think my goal in the past may have been the fewer columns, the better. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, that meant simplicity. But what you, I think, have done is every single column you could possibly need. And if you don't end up using a couple of those columns one month or or for six months, that's fine. It's there Mm -hmm. when you need it. And so it's a different kind of simplicity. And it really looked great to me. Thanks. If I had twice as many columns as I do, it would become cumbersome. And so I think there's like a sweet spot where that method works and doesn't work. But Right. For me, it's, it's, it allows me to categorize things. And it honestly, it's, it's, it was my solution to not having QuickBooks. Cause I was, you know, in QuickBooks, you can plug in, I have this expense, I'm going to put it in here and I'm going to tag it to this account, you know, that you've created. Yes. And yes. I don't have that. And right. I, every year I think about getting it. What you've designed, having worked in QuickBooks in the past and having a love for spreadsheets, I think what you've designed fills that need for, for yeah. free, you know, for with uh, a yeah. software program you already have. A previous business partner of mine, um, who was also a good friend of mine, he was oddly enough, he was my, um, that was my first comic business that I ran and he was my business partner. And in his day job, he was a, uh, he wrote code and did programming and created databases. And so he was like a wizard and could do this stuff in his sleep. And so he was kind of like my Jedi master. And, Mm -hmm. and I'd say, I need a thing that does this. And he would like take five minutes and build it. And then I, and so I still feel like I have like a, a tiny hint of like what he was capable of. Right. And, well, um, I, I, I was very, I was, my mind was blown. I was very impressed with that spreadsheet. So you didn't expect that from a farmer, did you? Well, I want to talk about that because I think, so when people think about writing, right, there's the art or the craft of writing. And mm-hmm. then there's becoming a small business person who has to sell that writing or place that writing or find an agent or find an editor. And I really enjoy both sides of that process. I have friends who love to write and hate the selling part. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are really good at the marketing and really struggle with the writing. So for me, I think when someone hears like, oh, I'm a farmer, listen, people who pay attention, people who are around for farm aid, they know it's a business, but I don't Mm -hmm. think the first thing they think about is spreadsheets and budgeting and, you know, the, the business side that goes into it. They, and certainly I know you as someone that I met at a farmer's market who looked like someone who spent a lot of time in the dirt and to know that there's this whole other side that's really necessary to be successful. It to me feels analogous to what people think of when they hear that I'm a writer versus what yeah. I'm actually doing as a writer. Well, it's like every business has all these necessary functions. And if you don't have people to hire, you got to do them all yourself. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to tell people, if you want to be a successful farmer, you have to be an ecologist. You have to know how to grow food. You have to be a mechanic. You have to be a customer service person. You have to be able to speak to people. Right. You have to have a 
business planning and accounting and all right. that. Yeah, I think and, that's why I like talking to people so much on this podcast is because for the most part, I'm not talking to people who design spreadsheets for a living. I'm talking to people who have these like really cool other jobs that some people might not realize interact with spreadsheets in various ways. Like I have a friend who's a thrifter. You know, she goes to, th- or in the, in the before times, you know, went to thrift stores, bought nice vintage pieces, maybe fixed them up. And she's like, yeah, but if I don't know that I bought it or I don't know how much I bought it for, then I can't sell it. So I needed to create a mm-hmm. system to make that work. I didn't even know thrifter was a word. It is. See? <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I have fascinating friends. So for you, I mean, we've talked about your businesses and maybe we don't need to go over this again, but what's the biggest or your favorite problem, program, or project you've tackled with a spreadsheet? So one of the other hats I wear is like permaculture designer, which uh, for the uninitiated liter- listeners you have, that's um, a type of ecological design. And when I do put together design work and you're adding plants to a system, you have to know how these plants interact with each other and what's the right plants. And so I have this massive spreadsheet, which is a uh, sort of like a botanical niche analysis. It's got everything about that plant on a spreadsheet. And so you've got, you take dandelion, for example, which is a common weed, but it's also a perennial, it's a pollinator, it's got a taproot, it's got medicinal qualities. It's pulls up minerals. And so if you're looking to design a system based on a certain need, um, you can actually maximize that system by having different different plants filled with different niches at different times so that you've got sort of full coverage of whatever it is you're talking about. And so it's a nice way to have a big massive database of plants and what, um, what they all do and what they're all like. Everything from their physical architecture to their outputs to their um, their needs and yields. And um, so if you're designing a system or if you're going into someone like actually Friday, I'm going to a friend's house who just bought a property and they want to get it ready for gardening farming. So we're going to do a uh, sort of assessment of their property and we'll take every plant that's already growing on their property and see what they have in the system and what they might want to need, what they might want to subtract. Um, and so that's just where I get to like geek out on plants and have fun with it. So did you build that yourself? That's all information that you've researched and then put into a codified system? Yeah, the, uh, the, the idea of a spreadsheet to track that stuff is not something I built. Um, one of my former mentors um, uses that in his design work and passed that on to me. And then I sort of tweaked it, you know, as I saw fit, but it's still pretty much the same. But doing the research on the plants and then putting it in there so it's all living in one place in a way that's comparable. And then you can filter out like I need ground covers here, but I need ground covers that are um, flowering at different months of the year so that you can plant ground covers and have flowers, you know, for pollinators like nine months out of the year instead of just four by planting a couple different things. So um, that's pretty fun. Can you do a quick and dirty or like an elevator pitch for the theory behind permaculture for people who don't know? Sure. Um, so permaculture is ecological design. What does that mean? Um, we're all ecological beings and we're all subject to ecological law. And so permaculture is basically using the patterns and principles of the ecosystem as a um, basis for design. So um, if we think about, at least in this area, we live in a temperate deciduous forest ecosystem. doesn't look like it if you check your backyard or the parking lot next door, but um, that's the habitat we live in. And 
so the perfect growing system in this area is a deciduous forest. No one has to till it, no one has to fertilize it. It's self-fertilizing. And so um, permaculture kind of takes the patterns and principles that makes that possible and says, how can we apply that to a, a human designed system that meets our needs, but at the same time replenishes the soil and the earth and um, makes everything better. It's magic. It is. I feel like for people in Lancaster who have little kids, I feel like outside of you and people I've met through you, people might know a little bit about it from Gnome Countryside. Cause I feel oh, yeah. like when you're going on the tour at Gnome Countryside, um, that's the first place I actually stopped and thought about how leaves become mud. And I mm -hmm. might be oversimplifying it, but like, I remember thinking, oh, mud is just leaves that have broken down and had water added to them. Mm -hmm. Is that true? I, that's what I remember, but. It, are leaves broken down and have water added to them to make mud? Well, like that's how I, that's how I conceptualized what he was telling us. <laughs> so, so, well, soil mud is just wet soil, right? And what is soil? Soil, as someone that I know once put it, soil is a combination of um, the living, the dead, and the really dead. <laughs> so, soil is living organisms. Uh, a average teaspoon of soil has billions of living organisms in it. Um, and then you have the uh, remains of past living organisms and then really, really old living or really, really old formerly living organisms, um, minerals and things like that. So everything, everything you touch in a hand so full of soil was alive at one point in time. Gnome Countryside is a, a pretty magical place though. Um, my, my nephew was born in the spring house there about seven years ago. Wow. Yeah, he had a, he had a home birth with uh, a midwife. All right, what are the limits of spreadsheets? What kind of problems can they not solve or what projects can they not help you with? I'm gonna say putting seeds in the ground, but obviously they've, yeah. helped, you, they've helped you figure out how many you need or. Yeah, um, the limit, I think the limitations of it is that it is just a two dimensional representation of reality. And so um, it kind of, uh, it can kind of trick you into the mindset of measuring success by numbers. And uh, even in a comic book business, like we're selling comic books and the more we sell, the more money we make. And that's makes us both very happy because we have to feed our families. Um, but at the same time, the financial income is only one yield from that business. You know, there's a lot of other yields. And so focusing directly on the spreadsheets, I think kind of blocks your wide angle vision, so to speak. Yeah, I've um, talked, I think, on the podcast before about the spreadsheet that I've kept for years, which for me is specifically a bill paying spreadsheet. So every mm -hmm. bill we get goes in so that I make sure we pay it. Sometimes it tricks me into thinking I know how much money we've spent that month. But of course, if it's not a bill that I'm processing, right? So if it's any cash yeah. that I take out of the ATM, if it's a hand check that I have to write because someone only accepts hand checks, that's not captured anywhere. And so mm -hmm. I realized eh, a year or two ago, I was like, oh, this isn't a budget. This is literally just a bill paying. When did I get the bill? How much is due? When is it due by? When did I pay it? Which gives me an apple to apple comparison over the last several years but mm -hmm. it's not a full picture of how much money we're spending. And I was like, oh, right. better not better not fall into that hole. <laughs> yeah, I think we had that same kind of issue. Like the, the budget that you saw for the business, I 
I don't anymore, but I used to use that same budget for our, like our home. Like I used to run our house, like a, like a business, mm -hmm. how much money we bring in every month, how much is going out, what's mm -hmm. it going out for. And it wasn't really capturing all that stuff you just mentioned, like the cash in hand and the, this yeah. and that. And so um, if it didn't go through the bank account, it didn't actually show up on the spreadsheet. And so well, that's one limitation, not maybe less a limitation of the spreadsheet and more of the user, but it's sort of like not letting perfect be the enemy of the good. So it was a pretty good representation of what we were spending every month, but because it wasn't perfect, it kind of fell apart. What's the silliest thing you've ever used a spreadsheet for? Well, I was thinking about that because I saw your question and I was, my first thought was, I, I don't use spreadsheets for silly things. It's all very serious stuff. I say that um, all the time. <laughs> so I'll say this, even though it hasn't happened yet, but we're in the process. My son and I, um, it hasn't made it to the spreadsheet form yet, but we literally pulled out the big six foot whiteboards in the living room and um, mapped this all out so they could be transferred to the spreadsheet. So I have a uh, photograph of this on my phone so I can spreadsheet it but we were mapping out the uh, Star Wars timeline, all the movies, all the TV shows in an actual timeline based on the series. And then we were gonna put that on a spreadsheet and then have a different column for all the characters and identify their lifespan in re relation to the different movies and how they cross over and things like that. So it's a big project. And I, I mean, I would love to see that, uh, just even the photo of the whiteboard I'd love to put up <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to send you that. Okay. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's probably um, they're putting together more Star Wars shows now. So it's going to get more convoluted. And, Do you and think you're going to find gaps and problems? Oh, you... we've already, yeah, we've already found okay. that. I mean, okay. absolutely. Okay. You have to suspend a little bit of reality. Do you know that. the term retcon? Do you know? Yep. It, do, do you know what that I, 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 I own a comic book store. Of course, I know the term retcon. Well, so, he, okay, I have to tell you. I don't actually know what it means. So so me asking you that is more an example of my limitation than of me thinking you wouldn't know because I okay. only know it. I only know it from I used to listen to the West Wing podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I'm currently obsessed with that, but Oh, are, are you really? Yeah. Okay. Big time. So years ago, Sam and I started to rewatch The West Wing and then we started listening to the podcast. I actually am very mad at both the show and the podcast, and maybe I should go into that right now really quickly. So I actually wrote and published an article uh, entitled, Is the West Wing Everything That's Wrong with Neoliberalism? <laughs> so, mm. so that's where my headspace is there. But so I only learned about retconning from an episode of the West Wing where they talked about going back and sort of ignoring yeah. the truth in the past. So do you know what it's short? It must be short for something. It is, it is short for something. And I guess I'm so used to the term, I never really think about what it's short for. I know the con is for continuity, but the ret is probably like, you're rewriting continuity essentially. Right. Um, but I don't know where the, I mean, a two second Google search will tell us, but I don't know it offhand. Have you ever heard the saying that the closest you'll ever know to feeling like a ghost is when you're listening to a podcast and you know the answer and the people don't? So right now there are people yelling at their phones right now oh, telling right. us yeah. what uh -huh. retcon means and where it comes from. Yeah, totally. Um, so that's a big, I guess I understand that that would be a big comic book thing. Yeah. Comic books are coming out, you know, spanning years or decades or, yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So you've found the retcon moments in the Star Wars universe. So yeah, I'd love a picture of that. All right. Okay. So we're into our rapid fire section. So. Okay. Uh, Excel, Google Sheets, something else, sub question, Mac, PC, tablet, phone, what's your poison? So I, I have a MacBook um, 
and so I'm fully immersed in that at this point. I'll never go back to a PC again. Uh, and I probably feel the same way about Google Sheets and Excel. I I use Google Sheets because the uh, it's convenient and it's just what I use now. I don't. I'm not a purist, but um, once I moved to Google Sheets, I, d I don't want to juggle two different things. Um, but I got to know Excel well enough that I knew a lot of the keyboard shortcuts and all that stuff, and a lot of them do not transfer over. And so I, I still find myself trying to do things that actually aren't working in Google Sheets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that goes right into our next rapid fire. Favorite command or function? Um, I love writing formulas. I love pulling data from one cell to the other. I mean, obviously the budget has tons of formulas in it, pulling from different sheets and things like that. But even for writing um, descriptions for eBay auctions, uh, we can take inventory and columns and actually pull that data into over into other cells to create the title and the description and everything else. And then you can upload that to eBay and like a FTP upload. Yeah, I love writing formulas. I love learning new formulas. I also love that thing where you can like just drag down grab the little corner and you drag down the cells that's pretty fun i some one of my guests had recently learned that and it like had transformed her life and also she thought how have i not known this all of this yeah. time <laughs> it's one yeah. of those life-changing moments uh how do you feel about color coding cells typeface <laughs> any and all of the above uh, well, you've seen my budget, so it mm -hmm. speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a visual person and I have to have color to, I need to be able to look at something and without seeing the numbers, know what I'm looking at. And right. I mean, I'm the same way with like my to-do list. I mean, the other thing is as a teacher teaching classes on permaculture and for everything else, um, there's a six hour class that I, I teach. I put that class on a spreadsheet, color coded based on the activity that was happening in the class. So within that six hours, I want when I design a class like that, I want it to look like a rainbow and not a big block of color. So chunks of lecture would be one color, hands-on activity, uh, Q&A and discussion, break time. If there's too much color in one spot, I know I need to tweak something so that people can stand being in a six-hour class. So yeah, color is a big part of well, everything I do. But um, I was really impressed with the color coding on the, on the budget spreadsheet that was that's why i'd love for you to give us if you're comfortable a snapshot or maybe of an old one or something just so people can see yeah um, i'll i'll find uh okay. i won't give you our company numbers but <laughs> just to post on the internet i mean um, i've seen the company numbers but yeah yeah we won't do that um what's the thing one thing about spreadsheets that you think other people might not know that they're pretty intuitive and that you can they're not scary like you can learn you can use really, you can do really simple stuff and you can take baby steps if it's if you're not in that realm at all but you think it would be useful to organize your life then start small and just do it if there's something you don't know how to do like youtube will teach you in 10 minutes so for sure yeah yeah they're just they're just pretty easy to use uh do you have feelings about crms have you ever used a crm do you know what that stands for yeah yeah we used um civi crm a lot at my old job um and I have a love-hate relationship with them. In relation to spreadsheets, you know, we would do a lot of, I would do a, with the CRM that we were using, I would do a lot of downloads, like spread, download spreadsheets from it. I didn't do a whole lot of up importing spreadsheets. Now, every now and then, like we had a WooCommerce plugin for our online store. I don't know if you know what Civi CRM is, but it's like a open sourced, quote unquote, free um, customer relations management system we used to joke that it was free like a puppy like people give you a free puppy but you got to put a lot of money into it and a lot, <laughs> a lot of time to get it to work properly right so it's pretty 
it's pretty cool considering it was free, but it took, and I wasn't even the one who did all the work, but it took a lot of work to get it functional for us. And it's still like, things don't work on it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I have no love for something that's just a pretty interface that I can put data into. If it's not going to do the reporting seamlessly, then I'd rather just have an Excel spreadsheet where the guts are all there and I can see them and manipulate them the way I want to, as opposed mm-hmm. to trusting that a system whose backend I know nothing about is going to give me the data that I want. So yeah, a yeah. lot of exporting. And I, you know, I worked, I've worked at nonprofits almost my whole life. And uh, the budget for CRMs is not really that, like, I'm sure they're really great, powerful CRMs. I've never worked on one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why, that's why we use the free one as a nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you know why and how to make a pivot table? I do as of this week, because I, you know, I'm going to blame you for that. Cause I think you mentioned it to Sam. Sam said, we should learn how to do this. And um, they're actually pretty simple. They have drag and drop functions now. They haven't always been that simple. <laughs> okay. I just discovered them and- I am so pr- proud that they, I'm sure Sam doesn't know how to do a pivot table. Hi, Sam. Um, well, I'll, I'll be honest. I, um, I was like, oh, I need to learn how to do pivot tables. So I don't even know where it is in the program. So I watched a six minute video and within three minutes, I felt like I knew how to use it. I just turned the video off. So our first interview ever on There's a Column for That was with my pivot table guru, who Ah. when I worked in California, I needed, so I, every school year, I copied over a spreadsheet to start fresh with all of the information I needed. And then she would do a pivot table for me. And because I only needed it once a year, I never really learned. It didn't become natural to me. And I knew that I could ask her and she could do it quickly. And so when I was talking to her on the podcast, for those people who have heard it, I said, well, you know, how do you teach people how to do pivot tables? She goes, Ugh, I just I send them to Google. Like, like I, at this point, like there's so many tutorials yeah. out there. You know, anyone who works for me needs to know how to do a pivot table, but I'm not teaching them anymore. I'm showing them these videos. So for anyone who wants to look back in our archives on episode one, we have her top three pivot table tutorials. And she says, I will check that out whichever one you like yeah nice yeah Yeah, it seemed really basic and i have a feeling that there's probably some higher level functions that you can use it for that i haven't gotten to yet so yeah no they're cool all right we have moved into our final thoughts period of the podcast so is there anything media wise books movies comic books television shows podcasts that you are loving and want to shout out right now well, it's, it's funny, um, you mentioned it earlier when I saw this question, the first thing that came to mind was the West Wing podcast. Um, my wife and I, Erin, of course you know, is um, we, we've been watching the West Wing from the start. And I watched, I can't remember if I watched them all or not when they were originally on, I watched most of them, but we're in the middle of season four right now. Okay. And it was about seven or eight episodes ago that I discovered there was a podcast. And so now I've been doing the episode, then the podcast and the episode. And mm-hmm. uh, it's quickly become my favorite current podcast. I got really into it and then I got mad at it. So for whatever <laughs> that's worth. <laughs> um, okay. Anything you want to shout out that you're working on? And I would highly encourage you to shout out any and all of your businesses um, anything you want people to know and how they can find you online. Yeah, I um, mentioned my business many times. Uh, it's called Riverbend Comics and you can find it online at riverbendcomics.com. 
Uh, it's also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I also have, uh, like I said, I left uh, my recent farm teaching job after a good decade, and I'm continuing to teach some classes on my own. Um, and you can find that on Instagram under Riverbend Foraging. Uh, riverbendforging.com will be coming very soon. Well, um, it will probably be up before this goes out. Joe. Oh, great. I teach a, a nine-month intensive on wild food and medicine, and that's typically starts in March through November. And I think I'm going to start it uh, April or May this year just to, and it's all outside. And I have I to still, give a shout out for that because you cured uh, my ingrown nail with a poultice. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plants, plants are magical. Plants are magical. Um, I have a farm at my house that I grow this year um, that I started last year and I primarily sell to uh, a hot sauce company uh, called Grumpy Mark's Hot Sauce, old Grumpy Mark's Hot Sauce and it's fantastic sauce and um, grow some vegetables and things. But my farm is, I've been calling it the, the Wallach's Farm Project because of a lack of a actual name. I kind of like the idea that it's sort of nameless and, and temporary. Very cool. So, and the last question is the one you get to ask me, and it can have to do with anything, spreadsheets or not. I, I'd like to know how it feels to be uh, world famous right now. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm world famous, although I was interviewed by German television recently. So that, I mean, I, I, I heard. <laughs> certainly multinational. Uh, you know, writing for the internet is weird. And being a woman and being a Jewish woman writing on the internet, you know, you have to be ready for all sorts of things. So uh, I recently published a piece that went semi-viral on the Huffington Post about how my husband and I have figured out time and place and headspace to have sex during quarantine in our not so large townhouse. And uh, because it was about sex, it went viral because it was written by a woman and a Jewish woman. I got feedback on how I'm ugly and I'm lucky. I just found someone willing to have sex with me and also a lot of anti-Semitism. So how does it feel? I mean, I've been writing on the internet for 20 years. So this is a little bit more than normal, but it, it's all stuff I expected and knew to expect. And um, mostly I'm just glad that I do you know, jokes aside, I think the piece is helping people. And I know, I know, certainly not the commenters on Huffington Post, but um, women in my writing groups, when I, when I suggested that I was thinking about writing about this topic, people were sort of desperate because there's been a lot on in the personal essay realm about dating during COVID or, or being intimate with people you've just met or want to meet or what happens if you had your first date on, you know, February 28th and then COVID hit, but I hadn't really seen a lot about married couples having sex when their kids never go to sleep or leave the house. And so I wrote it. I, I look forward to seeing the German TV piece. <laughs> Me too, but it'll be in German. So. Yeah, that's right. I, I have German friends that could, that could translate for us. Well, they may see it. So I have a friend, yeah. um, an opera singer in Berlin, and she is on the lookout for it. So yeah. And I'll be getting a link, but I just, I won't be able to understand anything. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I, I, I thought it was pretty neat. It was fun. I can't believe we got through 40 minutes of talking to each other and somehow Billy Bragg has not come up. So I don't know. Should, should we end with Billy Bragg? I think we should. I am, and I will end with my theory that I will stick by and have for the last 10 years that he is what you will look like when you are older. Like that, that wow. is- I, you haven't heard me I, say that before? 
I have not heard you say that before. Oh, I think you are just, you're like 25 years behind Billy Bragg. Like I just, my, my first two reactions to that are that's, that's kind of weird. I don't see that at all, but um, I don't, I'll take it. Like, strangely I'm enough, I remember having this conversation with you and that was the exact thing you said then. Wow, too, so. I, I believe that. <laughs> did, I, did I tell you the story of the time I saw Billy Bragg? No. I, so I was a huge Billy Bragg, Billy Bragg fan. I discovered him when I was like 14 and it was a life changer for me. And it was at one point in time where I said, if I was stuck on a desert island, I would take the Billy Bragg Peel sessions with me and I'd be good for life. And so I've always wanted to see him um, perform live. And uh, I, I had moved to Atlanta, Georgia for the job I was working at the time. And I was there by myself because um, Aaron was still in Pennsylvania and wasn't moving down until later. So I was there for like two weeks and I was at work and I found out Billy Bragg was playing in Atlanta. I went online, I got a ticket and I was you like know over the moon. what year this was? Uh, this, would, this would have been, um, yeah, 1999. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so 1999, uh, Freddie Johnson was opening for him. <laughs> and uh, I had waited my entire life to see Billy live. I went in by myself had my ticket it was great i sat in the balcony i saw a pretty set it was amazing i get really bad migraines and i had one coming on part of the day and partway through pretty johnson's set it was getting bad billy came on three songs into billy bragg's set i was non-functional and i had to leave and so i walked out and barely got to my car blurred vision and tried to drive home from atlanta I had to pull over on the side of the highway so I could vomit for like 20 minutes and it was terrible. And that was my first experience selling Billy Bragg. It was, it was disappointing. Now last year, right before the pandemic, I, I got to go to DC and we got to see him and it was absolutely amazing. He, he's timeless. Which night were you there for? It wasn't that the three, was that the three night gig? Yeah, it was a three night gig and I think we were there the first night. Okay, so the I old stuff. I think it was stuff. the first night. Oh, it was fantastic. So he's amazing. the artist that I've seen more than any other artist live. And so I have lots of different Billy Bragg stories. At one of them, I did get to meet and talk to him, which was like amazing that I was able to stay, you know, upright and have that conversation. Um, but yeah. my, my favorite Billy Bragg moment is I sent him a video of Nora when she was three. Singing, I remember that. And he wrote back. That's amazing. And I was like, there is an email for Billy Bragg in my inbox. And right around the same time is when I had started pitching essays. And there's a column in the New York Times that they respond no matter what. So a lot of places when you're pitching an essay, if you don't hear back from them, they don't want the essay. But the mm -hmm. modern love column responds regardless. And so I think at one moment I had an email rejecting me you know, from the New York Times, but it was still an email from the New York Times right, in my right. inbox next to like an email from Billy Bragg. So those That's are amazing. Those are my top stories. Although I do feel the need to share with you that I had a migraine and had to leave Madison Square Garden, Neil Diamond, shortly after September 11th. Wow. In New York City, worst migraine ever and had to leave. Mm. And I was there with a friend from work and he was like, do you need me to like help you? And I was like, no, I can make it to the subway, but I cannot stay here. And so yeah. I left him there. And then also Madison Square Garden, around the same time, Madonna. I have a very sensitive stomach that I have only recently <sighs> figured out is related to dairy. 
Oh, no. I spent most of the Madonna show in the bathroom. That's, so I that's could, the worst. I could hear, I, I could hear, but I was just, and, and that, thankfully, because it was Madonna, they had changed most of the bathrooms over to women, you know? Mm, so like there were sure. only like one, one men's bathroom. So I, luckily we were sitting in a, in a section where I didn't have to wait long and yeah, but yeah, I have those moments. I mean, I think, you know, anyone with a history of IBS or migraines or any of these other weird things that you could be having the best time of your life and your body just says, nope, sorry. Yep, the body always wins. <laughs> We're ecological beings. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, thank wow. you so much. This was wonderful. I always love talking to you and I really appreciate you bringing your spreadsheet knowledge to the podcast. Yeah, this was fun, thanks. Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song, Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.